Oh, so good. Hey, good evening. Uh, welcome to Thrive City. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Pastor Ben. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Thrive City. I know that many of you I know well, and then others of you perhaps we have not yet met. But either way, I am glad that you are here. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a moment with us on such a special occasion. I'm glad that you're here. Tonight, we are celebrating something called Good Friday. Good Friday is a time where we remember and we reflect upon the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. For those that might not be familiar with what Good Friday is, this might seem like a really weird idea. Let's be honest. Some of us have been familiar with the idea of Easter and Good Friday, but for those that are uninitiated, it makes no sense. Why are you celebrating the brutal murder of an innocent man? It just seems so morbid. If Jesus really is God, why would he allow himself to be beaten and tortured and killed by the people that hated him? Why are you singing and celebrating something that seems like such a resounding defeat? Well, that's what we want to talk about tonight. So you're in luck. How are we able to find hope in the midst of death? How are we able to find victory in the face of defeat? How are we able to find light when surrounded by darkness? If you've joined us on a Sunday over the past several weeks, we have been working through a series of messages called Easter People. And each week we have been focusing on a different character or circumstance surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. And by talking about Mary Magdalene and Joseph of Arimathea and Simon Peter and so many others, our hope is to build a better understanding of the resurrection story and how it has impacted the course of history. But tonight, we take a step back. Before Easter Sunday, there was Good Friday. Before the empty tomb, there was a bloody cross. So tonight, like Andrew already read in Mark chapter 15, I want to draw our attention to a character that can be easily overlooked in the story of the crucifixion. It is a man named Barabbas. I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 13. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be right on the screen behind me. Verse 13 says, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. Before I go any further, for a little bit of context, Jesus here is on trial. The people could not just outright murder Jesus in cold blood on the street. They had a process that they had to go through to essentially get his execution sanctioned so they wouldn't get in trouble. So right now, what is happening is Jesus is being beaten and shuffled between different courts, the Jewish court, the Roman court. He's being in front of Pilate and Herod. And the Sanhedrin. So Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Everything that you have said about this man, I can't find any merit to it. Every witness that you have brought forward, their story has fallen through. This man is not guilty. Pilate says, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. 
Verse 18 says, But they all cried out together, Away with this man! Release to us Barabbas! A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted, and he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Jesus, we worship you tonight. On Good Friday, we worship you for your sacrifice, for your humility, for your willingness to go to the cross in our place. Jesus, this is all about you. It has always been about you and it always will be about you, Jesus. We ask that you would focus our hearts in this moment. Speak to us through your spirit. Draw us towards a better understanding of who you are, King Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood that was shed. We thank you that it is finished. There is nothing that we can do. There is nothing that we can achieve or strive for that is greater than the gospel, the free gift of salvation that you so freely offer. Jesus, tonight we simply believe and receive. In your precious name we pray. Amen. When we think about the story of Jesus, the story of the crucifixion, you oftentimes hear language like this. The wages of sin is death. Jesus paid it all. We are redeemed. Jesus is the atonement for our sin. You see, the story is filled with language of, of purchase and redemption and restoration. Right? Purchasing back what was lost. Making whole what was once broken. When I was entering into my senior year of high school, I was faced with a really, really big decision. Until that point, I had the privilege of attending a local Christian high school. Shout out Faith Heritage. I don't know if there's any alumni here. No. Hey, you guys lucked out. That's great. All right, I can say whatever I want about Faith Heritage now. It's great. They're right down the street. Uh, but for the most part, it was a great experience. However, it being a private Christian school and me being raised by a single parent, uh, tuition was getting a little hard for my family to handle, even with financial aid and all the assistance that they offered. So my choices were this. I could either enroll in another high school for my senior year, or I could apply to the local community college, OCC. Shout out, any alumni? All right, all right. People are like, eh, I don't know if I want to admit that. But what could happen is I could simultaneously earn my GED and begin some of the basic college classes that they offered. It was a really difficult decision because being a senior in high school, I didn't want to miss out on my senior year with all of my friends. And it felt like no matter which choice I made, it was going to be a lose-lose situation. 
Either option was going to be a disappointment, one way or the other. However, at the last minute, like I'm talking, I was about to go to the Bursar's office and enroll at OCC. It was like the last minute there was a major plot twist. Uh, Some person, to this day, I still do not know who they are. Uh, An anonymous donor approached my family and offered to pay my tuition in full for me to finish high school where I had been attending. And I want to be clear, they did not offer to pay part of my tuition. They did not offer to give us a small loan that we had to repay over time. My tuition was completely paid in full. No strings attached. I didn't know who this person was. And in an instant, all the stress of that decision that I had to make was gone. There was nothing that I needed to do. There was nothing that I needed to decide. Everything had already been done. And my senior year went forward as expected. And to be honest, I wasn't really sure how to respond. What do you do in a moment like that when you receive something so uh, unexpected? I was obviously thankful, but I almost felt like I had to do super well in school or else I'd let them down. Uh, Don't worry, I I let them down. It was great. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. But I almost felt obligated that I had to keep up because of what they had done. Maybe it wasn't to that extreme, but maybe you have a similar story. has, Has anyone ever stepped forward to pay for your bill or your tab? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, like I ordered the shrimp, man. Like I I can pay for my own meal. Have you ever forgotten your wallet or your purse and somebody had to cover for you? And now you're like, well, now I just owe you my life, I guess. (laughs) Have you ever received an unexpected gift that was just way more than you ever would have thought? In situations like this, it is hard to know how to act or how to respond. I'm not even sure how to say thank you properly. How can I ever repay what you have done? Well, in the passage that we read together, we're gonna see some of these themes and we're gonna see the story of Jesus take a really interesting turn. Like we read in Mark chapter 15 or Luke chapter 23 in the story of Barabbas, we see the story of Jesus going to the cross. And everything seems to be going kind of hand in hand. There's this one character that comes out of nowhere that seems to interrupt the story. Right? His name is Barabbas. We don't even know too much about this guy other than what is said in Scripture that he's a murderer the leader of an insurrection, a rebel, why he's even mentioned in this passage, sometimes I don't even know, like, who is this guy? Right, shouldn't this all be about Jesus going to the cross? In this moment, Pilate here is thinking, man, what do I do? Right now, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hands. I know that the Jews have this tradition that on this holy day, this, this Passover season, I will release one of the prisoners that is on death row. It's a way that I can appease them, make them happy. Now Pilate stands on this audacious stage and he presents Jesus, the son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and the rebel. And he says, okay, 
Which one of these guys do you want me to release back into public society? Which one would do the greatest good for you? This almost seems like blasphemy. It seems like, like you have gone too far. There is no comparison between Jesus and Barabbas. Barabbas is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He, he's led a rebellion. He has murdered people. He's a bad guy. He's a thug. He's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the cross. But Jesus? Jesus, what has he done? What has he done but heal and restore and deliver and set free and open blind eyes and open deaf ears and heal the lame and the leper? What has Jesus done to deserve the cross? So Pilate stands on the stage and again he says, who do you want? I, I don't think I heard you correctly. And the crowd cries out in their fervor, we want Barabbas. Yeah, yeah, give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers, they come up and they, they, they put the key and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and his shackles and he walks down the platform and he's welcomed. I can only imagine by all of his thug friends and they're like, Barabbas must be thinking to himself, I don't know what is going on but this is my lucky day. After everything I've done and they're just letting me go? He's high-fiving his friends. He, he, he thought he would never see again. You see, there, there seems to be no conscience in this man, Barabbas. There's really nothing in scripture that says that there's no record of him turning to Jesus with repentance and saying, I'm so sorry, Jesus, I owe you everything. I owe you my life for you have set me free. No, you don't see any of that. It seems like Barabbas just walks away into the sunset. But God knew that. God knew that was gonna happen. Not only did he know it was going to happen, he's the one who made it happen. So Jesus stood there, silent, for he knew the will of the Father, and he said, it's fine. It's fine, Father. Let them have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. You see, Barabbas thought that it was the people that had set them free in their fervor. But no, it was the love of a heavenly father. When we look at the story, we realize who Barabbas really is. We see who he really is. He is me. He's you. He's all of us. As we read this story together, it's almost like God is saying to us, I love Barabbas. God is saying, I love him. And that voice inside of us says, but God, he's a bad guy. He's a thug and a crook and a criminal. But I love him. I wanted him to go free. But God, didn't you know that he probably was just going to walk away? That he would never acknowledge the free gift that you have given? Yes, I love Barabbas. 
Scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While Barabbas was still a sinner, Jesus took his place. God sent his son for Barabbas. Even for the guy that he knew was going to walk away from him and his free gift and probably never come back, God loves Barabbas. And the nerve, the audacity of us as believers to think that I I know that I got saved by grace, but now I feel like I'm in so deep in this dark place of bondage. I better work hard. I, I better strive. I need to try and achieve to get myself out. And God says, no, that is the opposite of the gospel. That's the opposite of what I want you to do. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation and this sin? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? And we say to ourselves, I'm just going to, if I just try hard enough, I'm going to shake myself and set myself free. And God says, no, stop it. No, you're not going to. You're never going to be able to. You are no match for the power of hell and the power of sin. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. We will just end up another statistic. There is no answer within ourselves. Our own goodness, our own discipline, our own devotion will never be enough to save our marriage or save our kids. There is only one And he is the one that took your place. He is the one that stood silently on that platform with Pilate and said, yes, let them have Barabbas. Take me. I don't know how many times in my my heart and in my mind I've stood on that platform with Pilate and with Jesus and and I'm Barabbas. And as they start to take off my chains, I say, no, I deserve this. God, I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve the cross. And Jesus seems to look at me and say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain and your shame. And I say, no, God, I did this to myself. I deserve this. God, what what happens with my marriage? I, I deserve it. I deserve that divorce or that struggle or that issue with my children. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve everything that is coming to me because I did it. Jesus says, no. Sometimes we say, God, I am so ashamed for everything that I have done. And Jesus says, give me your shame. But God, what happens if I do it again? I I feel like I can't stop messing up. Time after time, I end up in the same place. I'll still be there. God, I don't want to hurt you. I, I love you. I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sin, son. Church, this is all we got. This is all that we've got. This is all that you've got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed. Or we can come to the honest conclusion that it is God and God alone. The greatest challenge in our faith is not your discipline, your devotion, or your focus. The greatest challenge is believing the simplicity of the gospel. 
Could it be that there is a God with a love so scandalous, a love so wide, a love so deep, a love so vast and so high, so expansive and so welcoming and so inclusive? Let me have your sin. And we give him our sin and we stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that we deserve. And we see him and and we see Jesus walking to the post to be whipped and tortured and we stand free people. All attention is turned now. We feel the love of God saying, go, live your life. I'm going to pay the price. Where do we ever get off thinking that we are going to be the ones that are able to set ourselves free? It is all about Jesus. It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being by the power of Jesus. His blood is sufficient for your salvation. His blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. You need to know that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. One of the hardest things to believe about the gospel is one of the last things that Jesus said as he hung on the cross. As he said with a dying breath, it is finished. It's done. It's complete. It seems like the longer that I've known about the gospel, the more I try adding to it. The more grace that I've experienced, the harder I try and make it for others to experience the same. However, the message of the gospel, the good news of the crucifixion is that it is finished. It is done. There is no sin or temptation or struggle that the cross has not satisfied. There is no debt that the cross has not paid. There is no amount of striving that could outdo what Christ has already done. Scripture says that we have been saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any of us should boast. Do you see, church, why this is a good Friday? Because with Jesus died the need for me to perform, to achieve, to try and earn God's love. Jesus on the cross took the full burden of my sin and my brokenness and my shame. It's not alone. It doesn't have interest or expectations. It is a free gift. Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Stop adding to the cross. Stop adding to the gospel. Receive its simplicity. Jesus is enough. I want us to just remember tonight that we are Barabbas, that Jesus has taken the penalty for our sin, the debt that we should have paid. Like Barabbas, our chains are gone. It's now up to us to decide how we react. How do we respond? Do we, do we walk away never looking back like Barabbas? Or do we choose to turn and to follow Jesus to the cross and beyond?
as you walked in, I hope that you had uh, a chance to grab a communion cup. As we continue our, our time of worship, as we close in the next couple minutes, I want to take a moment for us to celebrate Good Friday by breaking bread together. Well, let's be honest, by breaking a small, tasteless cracker and a drop of juice. But I hope that you get the idea. I hope you understand. If you have not received one and you would like to participate in communion, just raise your hand real quick. We'll get one to you. Uh, obviously, no pressure. Do not feel obligated to participate if you would not like to. Before Jesus was crucified, he shared a final meal with his followers. And as dinner was coming to a close, he got their attention and he taught them something that he wanted them to do, to repeat, even after he was gone. You see, the tradition of taking communion is something that is really special to the church. There's really only a few different things in scripture that Jesus commands for the church to do. Some of them are get baptized and take communion, right? It's pretty simple. Jesus didn't say what dimensions the church had to be, what style of music, how many songs you're supposed to sing, how long should the message be? Nope, he said, repent, be baptized, take communion. So here's how, real quick, I, I, I want you to think about these things, both baptism and communion. Uh, quick shameless plug, next Sunday, the week after Easter Sunday, we're gonna have a baptism service. So if you have not yet been baptized, I would love to help you take that next step. You can just see me after. See, baptism is an outward display of an inward transformation. So being submerged under the water is symbolic of our old life passing away, being nailed to the cross with Jesus. And then being raised out of the water is symbolic of us being raised to life again by the same power that raised Christ from the grave. Baptism is symbolic of us joining the church, the body of believers. We have been adopted into the family of God. Well, families have family dinners, right? So if that's what baptism is, communion then is us coming together as a family to remember and reflect upon the death of Jesus and also to look forward to what he's continuing to do. So think about it this way, in the same way that the bread and the juice give our bodies energy, celebrating communion is something that we do to, to worship and to be spiritually sustained. Now I wanna be clear, there's nothing magical that happens with the bread and with the juice, and honestly, it's probably gonna taste pretty bland, right? God, if you could do a miracle right now, make this like a Panera bread bowl, like I just, I will take communion every single day. But there's something special that happens in the moment that we partake together. God meets us in the midst of whatever struggle, whatever hardship that we are working through. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. I am enough. This is my blood. It is finished. I love you, Barabbas. So Jesus, we thank you right now in this moment. God, we thank you for the cross. 
God, we thank you for your body, which was broken for us. Even when we were still sinners, you died for us. We thank you for your blood, which is the new covenant. We thank you for dying on the cross, being obedient to the Father. Jesus, right now, we we want to be obedient to you. You have commanded us in scripture to observe communion right now. That's what we want to do. We ask that you would honor this moment, that you would show up in a powerful way, that you would let us know, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. There's nothing that can separate us from your love. We thank you, Jesus. Scripture says that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. Maybe. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this now in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. take a moment and chew whatever that was. (laughs) Take a moment to just reflect upon God, the, the ways that he has showed up in your life. The ways that you were hoping that, that he will continue to show up in your life. And just thank him. You don't have to say anything out loud. You don't have to move your lips. You don't have to raise your hands or anything. Just right where you are. Jesus, I thank you. week for being there for me when I felt anxious, when I felt scared, when my son was sick, that I didn't know when I would have enough time to write my message. God, I thank you for your cross. I thank you that I don't have to worry about sickness or death because you have already overcome. Jesus, I thank you. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. In a similar way, we just pause and we reflect on the goodness of God, the blood that he has shed on the cross and the life that it brings us. For we are Easter people. Jesus, I thank you. Jesus, I I thank you that even though I, I will never be good enough Sometimes I feel like an imposter. I I feel like any day people are going to find out who I really am. Jesus, I thank you that you are enough. That with your new covenant, with your shed blood on the cross, it brings grace after grace, forgiveness on forgiveness. That you bring second chances and third chances. That you never give up on me. 
we, we remember right now your sacrifice on the cross. Last thing I want to say before we, we sing one more song together and we all get out of here is if you if you've never had an opportunity to begin a life-giving relationship with Jesus, I, I want to give you that opportunity. I know some of you are like, we do this every Sunday. It's because that's what we're here for. It's what we're all about. I want you to meet Jesus. I want him to turn your life upside down like he did to me, like he did to Andrew, like he did to Nick. He's messed up our lives in the best way possible. So if that's you, if you want to take that next step and meet this living God that we're gonna sing about in a moment, all you have to do, like scripture says, is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Scripture says you will be saved. And that's just the beginning. We'd love to be there for you on that journey. But if that's you, would you just pray along with me? Again, you don't have to say anything out loud. You don't need to raise your hands. You don't need to make it weird, but just pray along in your heart with me, Jesus. I thank you for the cross. God, I thank you that, that like Barabbas, you have taken my place. And like how Barabbas deserved the cross for everything that he has done, everything that he did wrong. God, I know that I deserve death because man, I'm not perfect. I have messed up. I have fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the truth of your word. That all I have to do is believe and receive that you have taken my place. That you bring forgiveness. You bring life. Jesus, lead me to experience a thriving life with you that begins now and stretches on into eternity. I thank you for making me your child. If that was you tonight and you prayed to begin a thriving life with Jesus, um, would you let me know by raising your hand. I know it can be awkward with a group of people that you may or may not know. But right now, I'll just ask everybody to just bow your head real quick. If you're not already, close your eyes. It's just me looking around. If that was you, can you just let me know by raising your hand? Great, all across the room. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for these hands. We thank you for these hearts. God, again, we thank you again for the cross. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your blood that you have shed. You are a living God. We thank you that we can celebrate on Friday because Sunday is coming. That we do not worship a God that stayed on the cross. We worship a God of the empty tomb. That we can meet you here at the cross, but it is not where we will stay. We can come to you broken, but you lead us to wholeness, to shalom, to peace. That you lead us towards a thriving life. So God, right now in this moment, we leave behind our brokenness and our addiction and our hurt and our shame. We leave it at the cross and we rise with you in newness of life as we leave the empty tomb. God, we thank you and praise you and we worship you and all God's people said, amen.